Hello all and welcome back to Thronderdome, the world's only Star Wars podcast that's worth a damn. That's worth a that's worth a frig to listen to. I am your co-host, uh, Dr. Daniel Dottie. With me as always, the right honorable reverend, Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how, how you feeling tonight? I'm feeling kind of confused because you told me that we were the only uh, Star Wars podcast. Now it's we're the only podcast worth a damn. Well, I actually checked. You know, I looked, and it turns out there are like a lot of other Star Wars podcasts. So none of them are any good. What could they possibly be talking about? You know what they're talking about? They're talking about David Felony's stupid cartoons and stuff. Awful. Oh yeah, his live action cartoons. His live action cartoons that he gets to make. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they're not... don't worry, don't worry, listeners. We'll have a we'll have our thoughts, our our poorly organized and ignorant thoughts about Dave Felony's uh, shows in the bonus of season three. Yes, yes. Um, but until we get there, of course, we have to finish out season three, which would mean continuing our recap and review of the final volume in the, uh, Timothy Zahn's masterful Thrawn trilogy, The Last Command. Uh, so if you're just joining us, I would recommend that at the very least you start with the first uh, couple of recap episodes for, uh, for, for season three here. But um, I mean, really, you should be going all the way back to uh, our, our recaps of Heir to the Empire and Dark Force Rising to get yourself up to speed in the, the thrilling, chilling, and uh, grilling saga of uh, Grand Admiral Yeah, we're, uh, our, pod- our podcast is like a Dave Felony TV show, which is it's completely confusing to someone who hasn't spent literal hours uh, <laughs> ingesting the rest of the content. Precisely. In fact, if you don't listen to our bonus episodes about totally unrelated movies like uh, I Bought a Vampire Motorcycle, then you really need to go back and listen to those too, just to be a completist. Um, but anyway, so, uh, all right, so right now we'll say... Now we're coming back in. Now you've returned after listening to all those many hours of uh, of top tier Star Wars podcasting content, and you're ready to join us as we dip back into the Last Command. Uh, as you may remember from the last episode, Ronnie and I were very upset at the prospect of Luke going to the Nogri homeworld of Honogur. Uh, so, so so much so that I've convinced Daniel. To title this episode, The Other N-Word. <laughs> yes. And I have promised Ronnie that I would do that, but I'm not sure that I will. But at least it's here on tape. We can, we know that the, the listeners heard it, and it's, it's pretty good. Um, will Daniel check it out? Find out. <laughs> See, that's... I guess, like, right now, because you'll be looking at the title of the episode while you're listening to this. Yes, yes, yes. Again, much like David Felony, we set up uh, cliffhangers for everybody. Um, but we do open up, see, this is some classic Timothy Zahn right off the bat. I, I think he's winning, I, he's winning us back, I think, with this section of chapters. We, we were... I will say, it, it's surprising that we well regard this, uh, segment of the book as much as we do, especially considering, spoiler alert, Thrawn doesn't appear at all in these chapters. That Thrawn appears, but no, no, no Thrawn, but has no Gree, and we still came away feeling positively. So, Timothy, hats off. Once again, you 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 showed us you you pulled it out of the nosedive, uh, and in part of how he does that is just with his signature Zonian charms, such as starting a Luke chapter with Luke waking up from being asleep, <laughs> which I swear to God, 
has happened seven or eight times in the trilogy by this point. But Luke wakes up. And then a later chapter will have uh, Mara Jade waking up from a nightmare. Yes. So it's a lot of waking up from things. Exactly. I, 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 would, I would dare classify this as woke, frankly. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so Luke has arrived at Honiger. And the little light, the, his little alarm has, uh, is blinking. It's time to exit hyperspace. Uh, he, uh, he and R2 drop out of hyperspace and get a load of planet Honiger. And Luke is really dismayed. At the sickly appearance of the planets, you know the brown grass covering everything that the that the Empire had put there on purpose to to keep the Nogri down and keep them paying their IMF loans. Who the hell is he to talk? He lives on a desert planet. Well, Tatooine looks like shit. The desert can have an elegance to it, you know. You've seen Dune. Tatooine does not have an <laughs> elegance to it. Tat- it has little children in robes selling droids and. And Arab stereotypes throwing uh, spears at people. Yeah, there's like there's majestic deserts like the Gobi in Mongolia, and then there's like Bakersfield deserts like Tatooine. Oh yeah, and like most of the planet is ruled by a fat man. Uh, was ruled by a fat man. Um, now it's ruled by Boba Fett, I guess. <laughs> I, we'll, we'll find, we'll find out, out all that and more in Dave <laughs> Filoni's uh, The Book of Boba Fett. That's right. Which I was shocked and dismayed to find out is not a book. I was, listener, I was furious. Um, so a patrol ship... Yeah, I mean, you you, you, you you introduced something called the Book of Boba Fett, and Daniel hears and goes, Book? Ooh, la la, I said to myself. I wonder where the Dewey Decimal System it goes under. <laughs> Does it go under star or war? Uh, well, if it's... Okay, so here we go. If it's like an autobiography... Uh, if it's like an attestation of someone's life, that will be filed under the 920s. Uh, but uh, we'll, I guess we'll have to watch the show to figure out what the, what the hell it is. Everyone literally just skipped through the, press the skip 15 seconds button on their podcast. <laughs> they, they, uh, they, they, they backed out of the podcast and hit unsubscribe. They are. <laughs> they should be like a klaxon that plays whenever Daniel's about to say something incredibly boring. Look, you... Daniel alert. You asked. All right, I didn't bring it up. Anyway, uh, so a patrol ship flies up from Honinger to meet them. Uh, and here's a fun thing to try to imagine. Starfighter, identify yourself. A deep, cat-like voice mewed from the calm. This, this, this was just... I mean, I've, I've thought of the Nogri as, like, gray-faced little monsters... But now they're supposed to be like cats too. They're, try- they, they're supposed what? to sound like Eartha Kit. <laughs> so, they're supposed to sound like sixties cat. They're woman? supposed to sound like sixties cat woman mewing deeply over the calm. Uh, Luke identifies himself as Luke Skywalker, son of the Lord Vader, brother of Leia Organa Solo, and cops to uh, needing to see a mechanic. He's he's broken down. The intercepting Nogri points out that he has put them in great danger by coming to Honiger, and Luke offers to leave. The intercepting Nogri considers and concludes that they cannot, by honor's way, permit the son of Vader to endanger himself elsewhere. So he's going to augur him in. The patrol craft leads Luke to a location that is not the clean land where Leia was. If we, if we recall from Dark Force Rising, there was a, a portion of the surface, a small portion that was not covered in the gross brown grass that uh, where all the Nogri actually lived. Um, but they're not going there. When he asks the Nogri, hey, where where are we going? 
The Nogu replies that they are going to, quote, the future of our world. Imagine Eartha Kitt saying that. Um, but before we go any further, I want to do a sidebar on what I took from this chapter, which is uh, R2-D2's speech, or lack thereof. And I realized that um, for R2-D2, his version of said is warble. So, mm-hmm. like, so like Zahn will write instead of, like, you know, R2-D2 said, it'll be, like, R2-D2 warbles. <laughs> yeah. And... And also, there's a there's a, uh, a portion of the book that goes, uh, I don't know, Luke admitted as the droid's question scrolled across his computer display. So that's, that suggests we've gone back and forth on like how much Luke understands of R2-D2. Yeah. That means that the computer display like is just like a, a, a warble to, to text like <laughs> uh, thing. Yeah. So, so, like he's reading... He's reading R2-D2's questions that are written in perfect English? Yeah. I don't know. That seems to, like, take something away from the character if he can actually... It It would be like if Chewbacca had subtitles or something. It would be like if Chewbacca had, like, a... Uh, he could send you a pager message. <laughs> you know, I guess. It's Yeah, it... Also, my, my, favorite, my favorite R2-D2 is the droid chirped, an electronic shrug... That turns suddenly into a startled shrill. <laughs> now I have no idea how you would accomplish any of that. How am I going to shrug? Yeah. I got all I got all the way to chirped, and then you lost me. I, I, there's there's what's an electronic shrug? An electronic shrug that turns into a shrill a shrill. I I I don't know. I Timothy Timothy it had something re- in his head. It just remind it just reminded me of a uh, uh, seventy. 372 pages often does a sonic challenge where they're they ask the other to like try to try to uh attempt orally like <laughs> right what's... something that was described in yes. the book i honestly i was tempted to uh give you the audio challenge for the deep cat-like voice mewing but uh it would be the worst audio <laughs> the ever worst audio recorded. in the world and it would be it would be just as bad as that time i imitated the way uh admiral akbar breathes which was not pleasant to listen to on, on headphones. Also, now that we're looking back at it, it's supposed to be a deep cat-like voice, so it doesn't even sound like a 60s cat woman. She had a deep voice it's for like, a woman. Yeah, for a woman, but I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, rare. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. You just did the audio challenge. <laughs> That's my no fresh is a sexy meow. Okay, alright. Well, to get back to the story, uh, Luke is guided to a narrow river gorge, shielded from both sides by these uh, you know, ragged cliffs. And within the gorge, on either side of the river, are strips of brilliant green. Plants! This is the future which the Lady Vader gave us, explains one of his escorts. Uh, Luke lands on a large, flat boulder. Oh, there's a, there's a classic Lukeism, which is... Is your future in those mounds, he suggested? There was another soft hiss from the comm. As the Lady Vader and the Lord Vader before the Nogri said, you could also read the souls of the Nogri. Luke shrugged. It hadn't been more, much more than a lucky guess, actually. <laughs> yep. That was just dumbassing his way across the universe. Just falling ass backwards into being the galactic hero. That's our Luke. Uh, Luke lands on a, a large flat boulder jutting into the river near a hut where two Nogri are waiting. There's an older one, Ov Kevam Clan Baktor, and a younger one, 
Kabarak! Hey, it's Kabarak Clan Kimbar. After some dickering about who is in debt to who, uh, Kabarak lets Luke know that word has already been sent to Nistau, the uh, the spaceport city, and the parts and text to install them should be arriving soon. But this is followed, and this was a curious uh, kind of thing here. Uh, this is followed, however, a little while later by the news that. Uh, the captain of the Imperial ship has decided to complete minor repairs here. He expects the work to take two days. And it's talking about the Imperial ship like we were supposed to know that, but like there has been no mention of an Imperial ship at any point so far, right? Did I miss something? No, it's uh, another flub. Yeah, it's just dropped in out of nowhere. Like there wasn't anything like, you know, Luke had to get into the atmosphere quickly because an Imperial ship was also approaching or anything like that. If it just says the Imperial ship. So again, Betsy kind of, I know, I know you're probably tired of reading this stuff, but you know, you have a job here and and that job is to let Timothy know that he forgot something. Imagine, imagine Betsy listening to this podcast. Well, she would know that we appreciate her. Uh, and the, her sacrifice, <clears throat> I would think. But uh, I I could just imagine her going. It was thirty years ago, guys. <laughs> Move on. She's gonna. I she's have. gonna get on to me like that time Kevin Smith got on to me for making fun of the chasing Amy tagline. God, you never let that. I will go. never let it go, ever. Anyway, <laughs> Kevin Smith clapped back at you on Twitter and. MC Chris was a bad hang. Mm-hmm. What more do you have, Mr. Wizard? So I'm just hey 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 hey. Don't 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 get me started, okay? Anyway. Uh maybe maybe you should consider maybe you were the bad that's hang. The, <laughs> what is the common denominator in these two instances of bad hangs with nerd icons? Hmm? Yeah. Uh Luke has a boring conversation with Kabarak about dumb bullcrap. Uh I'm kidding. I do like the I do like the uh, the compare the simile uh, the greenery would have stood out against the background calm grass like a bantha at a Jawa family gathering <laughs> that that conjures up a lot of visual imagery I, I do, like like a Jawas have family gatherings right, they, I didn't yeah know they that. have Jawa Thanksgiving and uh, you know uh, Jawa Jawa Purim and 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 I guess a bantha wouldn't be allowed there. But I think as, like, the common beast of burden on Tatooine, like, it wouldn't be that out of the ordinary. I don't know, though. You know. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what Zahn's implying. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to really dig, dig, dig into it uh, at some other point. But no, Karabak kind of explains to Luke that they are, this is their way out of the trap that the Empire has them in, right? Because they're dependent on the Empire for food because they can't grow enough. Because of the comb grass situation, um, but with Luke has a Luke has a really fucked up observation, which is the Nogri had had barely a month to plan, design, and build it all. No wonder Thrawn and Vader before him f- had found the Nogri to be such useful servants. <laughs> so he sees like all of their all of their planning and ingenuity. He's like, yeah, I can see why these guys would be enslaved. Yeah, you guys really do make good slaves. <laughs> Just classic Luke. Right. Um, but they're kind of well. I mean, we know what we know what side he'd be on in the uh, the uh, galactic uh, war of northern aggression. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, the 
Luke is kind of um, he throws a little kind of cold water on uh, on Kabarak singing the praises of this amazing new agricultural start they have going, which is just it just doesn't seem like they'll be able to grow enough. And maybe Honegger will never be whole again. Uh, and so Luke kind of brings up, maybe we can help you find a new home, a place for a new beginning. Uh, but it, yeah, displace that native population. <laughs> right. But I think that's 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 uh, teasing, that's foreshadowing. I think how the Nogri will be wrapped up by the by the end of the book. That's 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 my that's my take. That's my lock of the week. Um, hey Nogri, here's a new garbage planet for you to ruin. <laughs> you ever heard of this piece of crap, Dantooine? Here you go, buddies. Um, but uh, after having this uh, kind of conversation with uh, with Kabarak, the uh, it, it it he has a moment to kind of to check on Leia. Basically, he wants to because he knows the twins are due very soon, so he's going to try to reach out with the Force and see what he can learn. And instead, he has a terrible vision. Uh, he has a vision of Leia with a blaster and a lightsaber in hand in a fight at the palace with a with a figure, a hooded figure, looming, approaching her. But he jumps out of his trance with a start and explains to Kabrak what he's just seen. Kabrak offers to have the, the Nogri murder all those Imperials at that ship that's set down over at Nyasto so that they can uh, get away after all. But Luke demures. He kind of reflects on the fact that back when he was on Dagobah and something like this happened... He rushed off to go help his friends, and it uh, he he made it out of that. The climax of Empire Strikes e- Back. Happened. Exactly, barely alive and missing one hand. So maybe he should just chill out for a little bit. He thinks. I will. I will point out this was the first time I actually liked the Nogri when they uh, offered to murder all those Imperials. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty. Because I like the idea. I like the idea of, of Luke having like this fiercely loyal uh, uh, race of people that like. Will take his whims and just go over the top with them. That is funny, like some kind of like bloodthirsty Pikmin. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> or like if Smithers had a submachine gun, <laughs> and there were twenty of them, that'd be pretty good. Yes, uh, but um, so so Luke decides he's going to have to wait after all for the the uh, the the Imperial ship to be resupplied and then for his ship to be fixed before he goes and checks them out. Meanwhile, also he realizes that that in the uh, the uh, flash forward or the the vision or whatever Lando was in there, yeah. so it's like, well, it can't be happening right now because Lando's uh, busy on uh, nuclear. Yes, yes, right. That's right. Uh, in fact, we now cut to in in Klon, in Cleon. Uh, I'm going to call it Lando's planet, uh, where they're putting out fires. Uh, Nomad City has been hit and hit hard. Uh, the Empire have looted Inclan's metal storage uh, and crippled Nomad City. Um, Lando is kind of looking over all the wreckage. He's talking with his engineers. Uh, they're not going to be able to get Nomad City moving again without a, as it says here, a frigate's worth of spare parts, as his engineer puts it. Also, they have like 20 days until they're in, in full sunlight. And you'll remember, like, Nikon has a slow rotation, so it uh, like they're only occasionally in like full sunlight. But when they're in full sunlight, they'll just be like flash they'll be, dried exactly. They'll be vaporized death. by the uh, the the close in sunlight and sun radiation. Um, so it's twenty days until Nikon's slow rotation exposes the immobilized Nomad City. And as Lando kind of considers his options, a shield ship approaches, but it's not the Imperials behind that shade; it's Senator. General 
Garm Bell Iblis. That's right. Bernie Iblis himself. Air horns. <laughs> Air horns. Remix. Um, he calls in from a dreadnought that's uh, there behind the shade and suggests that Nomad City could be lifted from the planet's surface entirely to then affect its repairs, you know, off-planet, where they don't have to worry about the sun radiation. But that that would require an assault frigate and some other kind of lifting material that the Republic Navy may be loath to redeploy away from the front. Uh, Lando... I think you'll agree... I think you'll agree with me that it's shocking that Garm is still a character in this series. I was going to mention that. He had all of the... I thought they were setting it up that we would, like, never see him again at the beginning of the book, where Mom Mothma was like, uh, yeah, he's, uh, fighting the war. Bye. <laughs> um, like, I thought... But now he's, like, a member of the supporting cast. Yeah, they really bring him in, and he, he of course, has a, a big role in uh, some of the coming chapters, too, that we'll be talking about tonight. Um, but, uh, Lando requests that uh, Bell Iblis ferry him over to Coruscant so he can make his plea personally. Uh, but that's going to be, ooh, there and back, time to talk it out. That's going to be 17 days round trip, uh, cutting it close. Uh, but, uh, Lando thinks it's worth it. He doesn't want to abandon his, uh, his people. He doesn't want to abandon his nomad city. Um, and as it says here, uh, a trip to Coruscant right now wouldn't be such a bad idea. He'd even get to see Leia and Han and the brand new twins, maybe even run into Luke or Wedge. <laughs> Yeah, always or wedge. Maybe looking forward to seeing also, wedge. I, also, also, I have a joke in my notes that uh, read this conversation that you know if if Bell Iblis had this kind of a black outreach in 2020, he would have done better in the primaries. <laughs> oh, Bernie Iblis, you had to you had to make nice with the conservative black Democrats who run the machine in the South, and you just you know couldn't do it. Oh well. Uh, anyway. Uh, so that's, that's where we end the chapter with Lando thinking about what a good time he'll have if he runs into Wedge. Um, but he, there, Quat Christak is a, is a classic bad name, which Q-A-T Christak. Christak. Yeah. That's no good. Cat Christak. Yeah. But actually, actually there's a lot fewer bad names in this uh, segment of the book than, um, previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's true. Well, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's sadly, uh, it's, although I I say that, and then the first word of chapter eight is literally Jason <laughs> with the C. I was actually disappointed that we didn't get more from Samuel Tomas Gillespie, like we had last time. But uh, maybe oh, maybe man, he'll come back. Gillespie. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So the first the first word of chapter eight is Jason had fallen asleep midway through his dinner. But Jaina was still going at it. Oh, can I just say something? My my immediate observation for Chapter Eight is clearly Lucas Arts, Lucas Film, whatever, told Timothy Zahn he was not under any circumstances allowed to use the word breasts yes. or any of the variations thereof. Yes, I. And my theory, <laughs> is, my theory is that they know their audience. They know that if you throw around the word breast, even in a context of of breastfeeding they're just gonna fucking lose it yes uh as i have it here in my notes leia is breastfeeding the twins zon is tasteful about this but we are definitely intended to visualize princess leia tits out with a baby on each nipple uh which is the realities of motherhood oh that's that's your that's your fucking interpretation there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that there is a well how, how come on man 
how else are we supposed to <laughs> visual see what's happening here? Uh, and, I'm, and I'm saying this is I will I will give Zon. She's tastefully giving them bottles <laughs> of formula. Well, there's mm, space formula. A little later, I think we have evidence from the text that that's not the case. Um, but Han walks into the living room of the of their suite, their apartments, with a high sweetheart, which I don't like. Was that ever established in the movies? Does he ever call her sweetheart? It just seems like a weird thing to land on. Like it's not very Star Warsy. Couldn't he call her like Honey Wampa or something? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was like we were on the set of I Love Lucy. Yeah, <laughs> or it's or you can read it in like a Humphrey Bogart voice, like Hans coming and doing a bit, like "Hi, sweetheart." <laughs> like, Leia, I'm home. <laughs> you got some splay. Yeah, Han just got done yeah. with the. Han just got done with the band. <laughs> Uh, he just he just ended his shift flying the space bus. Uh, he's come come walking in. Um, I I do like how he describes the twins as they eat like starving Wookies. It's like, do Wookies are Wookies particularly uh, hungry relative to other species? I mean, you could really just sort of you could have like switched in like literally any other species because I when they're starving they're hungry. So. Right. Any know. animal or creature that's starving is going to eat like a starving. Wookie. I think that Han thinks that it's okay for him to say that because his best friend's a wolf. Yeah, he if you know what he I has mean. a W pass for sure. Yes. <laughs> um. So Han gets uh, Jason to give his finger a squeeze. You know, a little baby reflex or squeeze your finger and marvels at his grip. And then Leia says, "You should feel the grip at this end." Leia told him, looking down at Jaina. Which can only be referring to her protruding nipple. Come on. Like... Or a formula bottle. <laughs> Alright. But, uh... Breastfeeding does not exist in Star Wars. Uh, that's true. That, if it, it did, it, there would be a Wikipedia entry It was on only it. heavily implied. Uh, I bet there is a Wikipedia entry on mammary glands because of that uh, lady at Jabba's Palace. Um, yeah. yeah. But... But again, this is a no Wikipedia uh Yes. Podcast. We will not be checking to see what kind of sweaty pervert <laughs> added that to the Wikipedia. Uh, uh That had to be like the first article added. <laughs> it was like Darth Vader and then breasts. Breasts in Star Wars. Um <laughs> Well Lando and Bell Iblis have arrived in Coruscant and they are they're talking to Admiral Drayson about the plan to save Nomad City downstairs, but Han says it's likely dead in the water. Leia offers to go talk to him, but Han insists that she get some sleep. Uh, when Leia counters that she's getting as much sleep as he is, there's a, this is a little bit... I thought this was an odd exchange, where Leia seems to be telling Han that he's doing too much to help and shouldn't be getting up for all the late-night feedings, that Winter and herself can handle that. And, and so Han has a line of kind of mock-wounded pride... And Leia insists that he is needed for diaper changing. They have a little kind of back and forth. I, I do like how Winter has transitioned from, like, administrative assistant to off-air. <laughs> right. She's just whatever you need her to be right there. Um, but Leia has this line that says, I know you want to help Han, and I really do appreciate it. I just feel guilty. Like, lady, you just had twins. You just had, you have twin newborns. Do not feel guilty this at is, this all. This is more evidence that Timothy Zahn has never met a woman well, before. <laughs> the way the way I put it—that's my theory. The, well, the way, and I'm holding. So to the way it. I put it is that I think this dates the book. 
this dates the book in a very uh, jarring way, at least for me, as a, you know, I, I mean, I, I became a dad a few years ago, and, and I remember those... those. Yeah, and you don't fucking I don't shut, shut up, up about, about it, because it's the only good thing I've ever done with my life. But um, but I feel like this does date the book, though. This that's Oh, come on. You've played plenty of good XCOM games. Ooh, I have. I have. I've beaten the game uh, twice on uh, Iron Man mode. With no safe scumming, so yeah. So you've done two. Good I've done two good life. things in my life. Moving on, <laughs> but I feel like this does date the book as being written by a guy who was forty in the year nineteen ninety one, who was never expected and did not offer to help his suffering wife take care of their children. <laughs> but just say like to have to give Leia the internal feeling of feeling guilty about asking anything of Han is just like no, 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 not and especially not Leia. Right? She's feisty. She's not going to be pulling this kind of stuff. Anyway, I, I, I felt that that was out of character and weird. Um, but, uh, uh, actually, speaking of winter, uh, Han asks if she's gone to bed, but Leia says she hasn't come back up yet. That she's working on a project of her own downstairs, but she doesn't know what. Han does, though. Says, oh yeah, she's going through some old Alliance archives. Uh, but just then, winter arrives in the suite. Uh, Han leaves to go back to trying to convince Drayson uh, to help his old gambling buddy. And Leia asks Winter what she's working on, and uh, Winter, after flinching slightly, says she may have discovered an Imperial agent here at the palace. Mara Jade. She doesn't have solid proof yet, but see, you know, Mara Jade had called her Targeter when they first met, you know, last time, and uh, she only went by that code name for just one op for just a few weeks. So this gets, gets, you know, Winter is telling Leia that this has her thinking that Mara Jade is a uh, an Imperial agent. Leia decides to get to the bottom of this just by asking Mara point blank. Cut to Mara Jade. I was I was really glad with this because they could have done like some fucking pussy footing around yeah. it for chapter after chapter, but no, they just get it up. Well, uh, right, right. it's 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 always a relief when two main characters address an issue between them directly. Uh, that's, it's honestly, it's a little rare in these books. So it's, it's always good when that happens. Um, but we do cut to Mara who, uh, is having her stupid, uh, emperor getting killed dream again. And, um, she, she kind of wakes up with a start. Uh, of course with the, with the, you will kill Luke Skywalker, you know, echoing through her brain and all that stuff. Um, but she sits with her turmoil for a minute before hearing a knock at her door. And she bids whoever it is to come in. It's Leia, which causes Mara to suppress a grimace. <laughs> she claims she was reading news about the war. Uh, Leia mentions that, uh, well, the Emperor was right to see Thrawn's talent. And Mara takes immediate offense, but does not lose her cool. Uh, concurring. Mara Jade is one of those like, she's always being written as like, anytime anyone says something, her eyes flash, and then she pulls it together. <laughs> so she's like, constantly on the verge of murderous rage, but, uh, but reigns it in. Um, but she concurs and says, hey, yeah, Thrawn, he's, he's one of the best. And Leia, being really slick, asks her, uh, did you know the Grand Admiral well? And Mara explains that, well, he only communicated with Card a few times and visited Mirkur to get all the Salamirian stuff. I meant, did you know him during the war? And Mara assumes that Luke spilled the beans. Uh, and so she gets defensive real quick. Why should I have known Thrawn during the war? 
But Leia is done pussyfooting around and says there is a suggestion that Morrow was once an Imperial agent, but she just wants to know if there's any knowledge of Thrawn that the Republic could use against him. Mara offers that... Uh, and, and and Mara offers the biggest blowjob of Thrawn <laughs> so far. Do you, you want to read it? He has no patterns, no favorite strategies, no discernible weaknesses. He studies his enemies and tailors his attacks against psychological blind spots. Uh, editorial comment. Psychological blind spots like uh, a racist art never transitioned to three dimensions. <laughs> and uh, and these people are scared of impossible things happening. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't overcommit his forces, and he's not too proud to back off when it's clear he's losing, which doesn't happen very often. As you're finding out, she cocked an eyebrow editorial comment like a DreamWorks character. <laughs> Any of that helped you? She added sarcastically. Yep. <laughs> and Leia, I think, takes that pretty diplomatic and says, actually, it does. If we can identify the weaknesses he's planning to exploit, we might be able to anticipate the thrust of his attack. Um, so... Uh, she, uh, I, I love when she's about to leave and, and Mara just says, I'm going to kill your brother. Did he tell you that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And I guess this is, I was really confused about that. Like, why would you offer that? Um, but then I recall that Mara is under the assumption that Luke told Leia everything. So, um, but no, she just like, let's go. I'm going to kill your brother. Um, <laughs> uh, so Le- and then she does her old sob story about how she was one of Hef's bunnies, right? And, and her and Luke ruined that life was and, destroyed, and um, at, and it's like you could find employment other than at at the Emperor's mansion. Come well, on. Well, I thought this was a, an interesting exchange where it says Organa Solo turned back to face her. I'm sorry, she said, but there was no other choice. The lives and freedom of billions of beings. I'm not going to debate the issue with you. Mara cut her off. You couldn't possibly understand what I've been through. And uh, a shadow of distant pain crossed Organa Solo's face. You're wrong, she said quietly. I understand very well. And that's, again, I think Zahn doing right to bring up the fact that Leia did witness her entire planet and her family and all of her friends and everywhere she grew up with. That's something I love. That's something I love about, like, subsequent, like, Star Wars stuff is that they always have to, like, retcon in that Leia, like, gives a she shit She kind of got over it pretty quick. If you, look at the, if you look at the original movie, she kind of does It doesn't really come up again. <laughs> like, she's more... She's, she's more affected by that old man she briefly met dying. Yes. Than anything. Yeah, her, her, uh, her, her new boyfriend's sensei... Oh, sorry, sorry, according to the Dave Filoni... A series, the old man that she had adventures with when she was like nine. <laughs> oh God, that's right. Ugh. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I hate it so it's much. Bad. Um, but she, Mara, continues to needle Leia about wanting to kill Luke, but Leia doesn't take the bait to like have her arrested or interrogated or whatever. Instead, she should. She's constantly asking if she's going to be arrested. Yeah. Uh, Instead, she suggests that it's not really Mara Jade who wants to kill Luke Skywalker, given that she's had several chances already. Now, Mara scoffs and says she's just coincidentally keeps getting into situations where he, she needs him alive. But the suggestion did get under her skin. After Leia leaves, she tries to get card on the horn, but her terminal says long-range comms are down. And after having a few more angst moments about the Emperor, Mara's spidey sense tingles. There is danger in the palace. 
She unholsters her holdout blaster and listens at the door, hearing footsteps of a squad of combat professionals. After allowing some time for them to pass, she peeks out the door and spots four figures in palace security outfits, but walking in a bent diamond formation that she knows very well. This is Imperial Intelligence! She steps out of her door to follow them, but is held up by a blaster at her head, and someone saying, All right, Jade, nice and easy, it's all over. End of chapter. When I, when I was reading this cha- when I was reading this chapter, I was laughing, thinking about how it, I'm pretty sure you told me that uh, your wife on your first date said she was going to kill you. So <laughs> there's like some parallels between your marriage and the uh, the Luke Mar Jade relationship that I think are worth exploring. Uh huh. I, well, I think I, I don't think it was our first date that that came up. Um, but it, it, it has come up before and she does jokingly threaten every now and then, but that, that, that is kind of one of the reasons why we identified Mara Jade as a, as a Daniel's wife type character. Yeah. And, and Daniel is of course Luke Skywalker, <laughs> Luke Skywalker a, 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 a doofus hayseed <laughs> who falls ass backwards into all of his successes. That's right. Whom, whom is inexplicably widely loved. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's astonishing. It's infuriating, really. isn't it? Oh, I don't know how my friends and family put up with it. But, you know, I'm the Daniel. Gotta love me. I mean, we, we, we discuss that pretty often. <laughs> Especially after I tell you a pretty, uh, a pretty stupid story of my stupid youth. And you are left again to marvel yeah. at however I could have put together an actual life for myself. Uh yeah, the fact that you haven't, like, choked to death on one of those uh, ring pops is amazing. <laughs> well, we'll see where it all next takes us. Now, I do have some things to say about Winter and where she was during all this, but we'll get to that kind of later as we discuss what's about to go down now, which is a, a bunch of action scenes. So my actual my notes for recapping Chapter 9 are not very extensive, um, so we'll... Yeah, there's a lot of action. It's a lot of action that's not really worth doing the blow-by-blow on here, but, uh, it, so... But first we start with, uh, with Admiral Drayson. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just saying, like, I'm sorry, Calrissian, but we just can't do it. Uh, it's, once again, like, Lando and, and Bernie Iblis have been around this, you know, ten times. But Drayson is really, he's really digging his heels in. He's just not... Uh, you know, Bell Iblis even says, like, I've shown you at least eight places we could draw an assault frigate from, which would have it out of service less than ten days. But Drayson's like, nope. Well, it turns out, it, well, it turns out that Drayson's one of those uh, dreaded uh, Mon Mothma men. <laughs> you know, like a, a Peter Dow before he saw the light. Exactly. <laughs> he, is, he is definitely a Mon Mothma man. Um, but he's, he's not going for it, uh, so... You know, they, they kind of grimace and, and they head back up to... Uh, they're going to head back up to their quarters. You know, Bellobliss is like, ah, oh, yeah, where are you staying? Uh, Lando's like, okay, well, uh, well I'll, I'll go up there with you. Uh, so it's when they are headed upstairs that they start noticing that, huh, there's not really a palace security around. And they were like, I've, they felt... Oh, before you go on, I want to oh, yeah. point out something, which is... Uh... Bernie Iblis talks, or or I think Lando brings it up, like, maybe they could appeal to Admiral Akbar and and uh, and there's the uh, passage. Uh, Lando thought about the rather awkward scene back when he'd first told Akbar that he was resigning his general's commission. Favors won't mean anything if he agrees it might be a setup, he said instead. And I'm thinking, 
setup or trap? Trap. Yeah. That's what he knows. Absolutely. Internet. Internet meme. Beep, 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 beep. Look at the air horns. I again. mean, that's literally his only his only fucking line in those movies. Uh, I think he also says, uh, "We won't last long against those star destroyers." So you know, that's a fun one. I mean, there's there's fewer ways to like put that in shock, into conversation. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, but they they start getting suspicious. Uh, Bell uh, Iblis and Lando are like uh, like I don't know something's up. Something's going on. Something doesn't feel right. Um, Lando does not have a blaster, but Bell Iblis does. He, you know he's got that thing on him. Uh, so, Well, I mean, Vermont is a state of hunters, Daniel. <laughs> this is true. Uh, that's that's why uh, Gar... So, so it figures that Space Vermont would be as that's well. That's why Garn Bell Iblis has a, an A-plus rating from the, uh, the Galactic Rifle Association. Yes. <laughs> the GRA... <laughs> <laughs> but um uh so Lando tries to pull out his comm link to call it in and see if he can get anything there but uh it's jammed. So now we really know that uh you know the, the some shit's going on. Uh, but they're you know they're sneaking through the hallways, they're moving cautiously when they spot a lone figure leaning out of her door, a slender woman with red gold hair and a small blaster gripped ready in her hand. Mara Jade. You see it's Garnbell Iblis. Who uh, got Mara Jade dead to rights with his blaster and said, "Nice and easy, it's all over." Uh, but I imagine Bernie Sanders doing that, and I laughed out loud on the bus. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, but as it turns out, so all right, Jade, nice and easy, it's all, all right, over. Jade, nice and easy, it's all over. <laughs> and it'll be all over for the middle class if we don't pass this budget. So, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, so Garm has her there at uh, at gunpoint. She turns around and is like Calrissian, uh, and it it says there's no mistaking the relief in her voice. Um, so she goes ahead and says, you know, or the underlying tension either. So yeah. it's relief and tension simultaneously, which I guess is setting up for them to like be okay with the fact that like the suspicious lady they're gonna throw in with her. Um, cause they, you know, they trust her, uh, except Bell Iblis doesn't cause he, he starts narrowing his eyes at all this. Um, but they, they do ahead, uh, they, they come up with a plan for Lando and, uh, Mara Jade to kind of go ahead and see what they can do to, to slow down the, the, or find out what's going on and see if they can intercede while Bell Iblis heads downstairs to the uh, diplomatic reception to try to gather up some of the security there to bring them back up. Um, I did like the moment when Lando realized that they're after Leia's twins, and then Mara swore under her breath, You're right, Thrawn's promised them to that lunatic Kabaoth. That has to be it. <laughs> and then I just started thinking about, like, what are these Imperial guys being told? Oh yeah, your job is to steal a couple babies. <laughs> well, that was on the last and, and then it, And then it's just that Mitchell and Webb show look uh, sketch where it's like, Are we the baddies? Are we the baddies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, only the baddies would be would be employed to steal some babies. Well, you know, if you think about I'm it, I'm sure that any 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 good disciplined uh, Empire intelligence officer knows that there are certain exigencies one must, uh, you know, consider for the grand scheme of things. Sometimes you just gotta steal babies. Um, 
but anyway, so uh, this is where kind of the, the action scene stuff kicks in. To, to kind of, I guess, lay out the scenario, uh, Han and Leia... Uh, Leia actually wakes up. Oh, sorry, my cat knocked over a bunch of stuff. Uh, Leia wakes up out of a dream um, with someone warning her to wake up, wake up, wake up. Uh, and uh, Han is in there with her. They got the twins are in their crib. Uh, Winter was in her quarters. Um, <laughs> it says, Winter was also asleep, no doubt dreaming in the laser-sharp images of her perfect memory. Just throwing that out there, remember? Yep, has, those laser-sharp images. She has eidetic memory. Um, but Leia feels someone in the Force. You know, five or six someones outside, grouped around. She initially thinks, like, oh, maybe it's like a patrol, and they just stop to chat or something. But no, the vibe is really, really off. Uh, so as it happens... Uh, they're, uh, that's the, the, uh, Imperial intelligence team is trying to break into their suite with an electronic lock breaker. Um, and they, electronic lock breaker is a weird thing to read in a star Wars novel. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess it kind of makes sense because all the doors are electric. You know, it also is a weird, weird thing to read in a star Wars novel. The phrase, the thick carpet. <laughs> I don't normally think of, like, carpets in the Star Wars universe, you know? Well, you know, it's... I have to imagine they exist, but still. I don't know, you gotta... It's, it's, it gets cold in there. You don't wanna, you don't wanna set your feetsies down on, on, uh, hardwood, you know, when you're getting out of bed. Did you just say feetsies? I did. What are you, what, right, what are you gonna do is, about is... it? <laughs> Daniel is now on probation. Alright, alright, alright. I don't want to. I don't want to get in trouble here. I'll I'll, I'll back off. Uh, but the uh, so the the lock actually opens. It clicked open. But Leia, thinking quickly, uh, fires her blaster uh, a couple of times at the door, which triggers the automatic uh, like emergency doors. So they have like uh, armored doors that come slamming down uh, in the across the suite. That's gonna slow down the Imperials as they try to break in. So that's the, kind of the whole setup there. Uh, it's basically a race. I do like the aside that that the wood was one of the hardest and strongest known in the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's well, you know, the emperor spared no expense in redoing the presidential suites. Um, yeah, although he still kept, you know, the the wood paneling. Oh, well, it's classic. Yeah. <laughs> what? It's just a seventies yeah, Playboy mansion. It's got wood paneling and and deep pile shag rugs, dude. Well, I don't know what you want. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, uh, our Emperor Palpatine as Hugh Hefner thing has some legs here. I think I think you might be onto something. Um, but anyway, it's, it becomes a race against time uh, with the Imperials breaking through the doors to get to uh, Han and Leia and the babies and uh, Mara Jade and Lando kind of getting stymied by uh, a couple of. There was like a, a couple of other like latecomers, maybe the ones who had like you know uh, disarmed the comm system, coming up and joining the rest of the team. Uh, they have a little firefight. Um, they all get to uh, kind of the the the, the entrance to uh, Han and Leia's suites. Um, they're kind of in position. Lando and, and Mara Jade are waiting on Bell Iblis's people to get up there before they attack. Uh, but there's just not enough time. Uh, the, the Imperials have gotten through. They've broken open all the doors. Uh, the uh, Lunchbox guys are shooting back. But Leia suddenly hears in her mind, 
or rather the way it's set up is that Leia out of nowhere says like stops blasting and says, we surrender, we surrender. And everyone's like, what? Uh, this is actually a pretty good cliffhanger. The way, uh, Zahn is shifting perspectives here. Yeah. Cause then we, 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 we shift our perspective back to, uh, Mara and Lando, uh, as they are approaching and they're trying to, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're waiting for their backup, but they're, you know, they're wondering what the hell they're going to do. But then Mara has the idea. She reaches out with the force calling silently. It's Mara. I'm coming up behind them. Surrender. You hear me? Surrender. Surrender. And that's when Leia says, stop, we surrender. So that all the Imperials think, aha, the, the jig is up and they're not looking behind him. And Mara Jade freaking blasts them all to hell. Uh, almost all of them. Because there were, there were four of them there in firing position, but she, she lays out uh, two of them instantly. A third spins around, but she gets him before he can uh, get his thing up. And she manages to wing another guy. Well, there's one survivor. Uh, Bell Iblis and his bunch of people had gotten up there by that point. Uh, and he says, we think it's the team's leader. Spe- speaking of Bernie Iblis, there's a good there's a good uh, bit I want to quote, which is, uh, Bell Iblis nodded slowly, his lips compressed into a tight line, a hint of strain around his eyes. It was a look Mar had seen only rarely, and then only on the faces of the best military commanders. The expression of a leader preparing to send men to their deaths. <laughs> and I just imagined Bernie Sanders doing that, and just, it was funny. Yep. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, we, we're, we're kind of in, in mop-up mode here. Uh, Bell Iblis and Han are walking toward the medical wing where the survivor is on life support. It's a Major Himron, tentatively identified. He's unconscious, but they're hoping to wake him up to get uh, get some answers. Um, they don't get much out of him, but he does say that an agent inside the palace let them in a back door. Contact name Mara Jade. And that's enough for Belle Iblis to set off to have her arrested. But Han isn't so sure. Uh, but just in it clicks with Lando, he's been thinking, like, I know this lady from somewhere. I know I've seen her before. And it finally clicks with him. She was a dancer at Jabba's Palace. Where Lando was also... Of course Lando has memorized all the dancers at Jabba's Palace. Well, remember, Palace. he was undercover as a guard for, a, for at Jabba's Palace. So, you know. That's true. Yeah, so he had some time there. He got to know all the staff. He got to know all the Goyles. <laughs> you know, um, I'm sure he. I'm sure he met all of them in various ways. <laughs> hey, buddy, uh, Colt Forty Five works every time. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I mean, this is Billy D. Williams in his prime. So exactly. Exactly. Just do the math. Uh, but uh, Han is again. This this all seems, you know, pretty bad for Mara Jade. Um, but Han, uh, he, he does, his gut doesn't say, his gut says she's actually okay and something else is going on here. And so the, the chapter ends with Han declaring that they'll go help Leia get the twins settled and then figure out what's going on around here. And, uh, so that's chapter nine that, that concludes our recap. And I have something I want to say now, all of our listeners know that I do not remember a lot of details from when I read these books before. I might not have even finished this one. I'm thinking now. I don't think I actually finished The Last Command. <laughs> I think I had moved on to something else by that point. Um, as I'm Moved on to Heinlein. I, well, I was going to say, probably I was reading a bunch of Arthur C. Clarke. This was around the time I was reading the Rama series, which, uh, boy, yeah. 
Anyway, I'm not going to get into where that series went after the first one. Um, let's just say the, the longer uh, a legacy science fiction author series goes on, the more weird sex stuff is going to crop up. Um, that's why it's good that, uh, that Timothy Zahn is a sexless Ken doll, man. That's right. He's the good kind of science fiction author. Not like, uh, say, Frank Herbert or Robert Heinlein. Who are really any or any of, of the <laughs> any of the big names and what they got up to in the eighties? Woo! Uh, but <laughs> Timothy Zahn is is uh, is important ace representation. Oh yes, he is. They can claim him. I think they can claim him. Now, anyway, I'm saying all this because, right? Okay, so uh, you'll recall that part of the uh, mission of the intelligence guys was to neutralize Mara Jade, right? Now, I'm thinking that this was all part of the plan that if they got fucked up somehow, that they throw Mara Jade under the bus for whoever's left to be interrogated, thereby getting her snapped up by New Republic security and otherwise then successfully neutralized. You know, she's she's not able to, you know... Uh, or rather, that, that will somehow kind of prevent her from being as much of a thorn in their side as they think she might be. Um, now, we we do know that an agent let... The, I guess we don't know this, but we're presuming that an agent did let them in through a back door. Now, who wasn't around when this would have been happening? Who was off doing her little project? That's right. Her, her arts and crafts. Her arts and crafts. Winter. And what did she and what did Winter say when she got back up there? She said, "Oh, I've been doing some research. And I think Mara Jade is bad news." And then this Imperial intelligence guy says, "Oh yeah, the person who let us in is Mara Jade. She's bad news." I think this is more evidence for Winter being the uh, the mole. And uh, so I'm I'm putting my chips down. I've been doing this for the entire series by this point, but it, more and more it's coming together. And I don't know again with an artist, artist with an author. And an artist, as subtle and uh, and 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 uh, in control of language as Timothy Zahn is, we can never be sure whether something is actually being set up or if it's just a thing that he forgets about or isn't actually trying to do. And that's what really keeps us on our toes. I, I, I will push back on your theory, which is I think that it's become so obvious that she could be Delta Source that it can't be her. Oh, yeah, so it's a red herring. Even then, I will say, I don't know if Zahn is doing that intentionally. <laughs> that is the magic of Timothy Zahn, is that there's really... There's <laughs> there's really no way to tell. But, I, I'm again, I... It's not death of the author. It's not death of the author. It's uh, the comatose author. <laughs> It's the author kind of spacing out the uh, the 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 absent parent of the author, <laughs> just not there for his for his. his the tending. author mentally crossing his fingers. Mentally crossing his fingers, indeed. Um, God, what a great phrase! <laughs> it's it's well it entered. No wonder it's used eighty times in this trilogy. Yeah, it's used eighty times in the trilogy. It's part of our common parlance. I mean, every day I hear someone say, "I'm mentally crossing my fingers." Uh, you know, it's it's yep. one of the great legacies of uh, of the Thrawn trilogy. I, but anyway, I just wanted to lay that out for my theories about Delta Source and and why I think the text in this and in, the, in these chapters supports it. But I think we should take a moment to see, like you 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 feel pretty you feel buoyed 
by these chapters, Ronnie. You you were actually feeling very positive as we were talking. Well, relatively positive, well, yeah. 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 Especially because I I was uh, dealt with the shit sandwich that is, you know, uh, the prospect of Luke on the Nogri planet, <laughs> which actually turned out to be a lot better than I thought it'd be. Yeah, I don't know where Luke is right now. I guess it takes longer to get back to Coruscant from uh, Honiger because, like, the, the, I don't know how the chronology is working here because, like, the, the Luke stuff seemed to be happening contemporaneously with... Lando talking to Bell Iblis about going back to Coruscant. We're just, we we should just be lucky that this stuff was made in the nineties because if it was made now, the book would open with like a huge map of space and it would just <laughs> give us like coordinates of all the various planets of intrigue. I, and we were supposed to like memorize that. Shit. I guess so. Yeah, that's that's probably good that they did not go the Lord of the Rings route of uh, actually dro- like working out how long it would take to walk from place to place. Um. That's the thing about that Ashoka show. All of all of those episodes are about them finding maps. Really? God, it's that's terrible. So it's just oh, that's stupid. Cuz that was already that was the fucking plot of the the first revival trilogy episode uh movie, right? That they had like yeah, I mean, part of a map and had to find the rest of the map that it went to to find Luke Skywalker. That was the whole deal. Come on, David Fellow. Why do they need maps? It's space. It's space maps. Space charts. You know? Exactly. They got boats. Put it on a USB drive. <laughs> well, you know, put put it on a put it on a thumb tape. Or something. We gotta Star Wars it up. Uh, but yeah. Well apparently paper exists in Star Wars, so we, everything's fair game now. Yeah, and academic publishing, paper. It's it's all there. Um Shag carpeting. Shag carpeting, wood paneling. <laughs> It's, we might have to do our thread commentary tracks on the original trilogy <laughs> where we just point out things just, that exist. Just you and me pointing like, ooh, look, there's a cup. <laughs> or like, ooh, look, a, a rag. <laughs> Mullets are in continuity in Star Wars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We know we know they have pitchers. You know, Aunt Brew pouring a, a cold glass of blue milk. Uh, they have werewolves. They have werewolves. They have uh, They have liquor. You know, uh, well, I guess we yeah we know that from uh, from all the drinking that uh, Lando's been getting up to. Oh, that remi- that reminds me of a part of uh, Chapter Nine we uh, we overlooked, which was uh, Chewie was doing a code that was associated with uh, like Sabak players, and and C three PO butts in and says like, you know, I oh I'm fluent in like six million different languages. I can translate this for you, and and then. Han Solo just goes, shut up, Goldenrod. <laughs> yes. It's just classic. Uh, I- I'm sure in the original draft it was like, shut up, Twinkle Toes. <laughs> yeah, let's see how often Goldenrod appears. Let's have a look. Um, How many times? Only three. That's still just a surpri- <laughs> high amount. It's already, well. It's already occurred twice. We just that was the second, that was the second occurrence just now. So we have another one to look forward to, uh, and probably about seven more chapters, I think, judging from from this here. But anyway, I mean, I try not to use the same insults on you like all the time. Yeah, you do try to mix it up. I try to vary them up. And uh, yeah, yeah. I think we we already took a look at. Um, 
<laughs> it looks like Prissy does come back. Uh, oh boy. Uh, yeah, there's... That'll, that'll be a future episode title, Return of the Press. And, <laughs> if, if, and if, uh, if I'm looking at this right, I think it's... Because I'm coming over it. Yeah, no, I think that's both in regards to C-3PO. For a second, I thought maybe it would be mentioning, like, being addressed as a different character, but nope. That is a word that only is applied to one robot. Oh, boy. Well, there there are very few confirmed bachelors in the Star Wars universe, and and (laughs) Timothy Zahn is not one to create any new ones. I I suppose so. Um, But anyway, so that that wraps up our our recap and review. Uh, Things are really heating up. Um... What will become of Mara Jade? Who knows? Where's Luke? Did he decide he wants to just become a Nogri and, and forget all this galaxy business? That would that would be great if he just went native. And, and I think most... most Those ugly, gray-faced losers <laughs> that have one patch of, of habitable land. He was just so enchanted with their way of life. You know, he feels like he's finally come home. They're... They're not at all cliched opinions regarding honor. <laughs> it's something that really speaks to Luke. Uh, and, of course, we have to find out what Thrawn, like, is he finally going to burst a, a blood vessel uh, when all this, uh, his, his super commando team goes down? I mean... Will another Chris Peterson be a will, casualty <laughs> of his rage? Will another Chris Peterson be left uh, bleeding out at his feet? Will Samuel Tomas Gillespie be able to help anyone again? Uh, we'll have <laughs> again. We we have to do, we have to do like a segment at the end of of book three where we just list our favorite stupid names. Yes, the 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 most notable Gillespie Gillespie will be up there. Gillespie, I think. I am thrilled that <laughs> I was so thrilled to read that. But anyway, so let's uh, that that rounds out our recap. But now we move on to the real heart of the show. The what brings people here? What what made them interested? You know, what's the hook? You know, people see the Star Wars thing, and they're like, yeah, but I don't know. I can get Star Wars anywhere. Then they read, ooh, debate segment. Now we're talking. That's right, folks. It's our famous debate segment, Into the Thronder Dome, where your two hosts, Dr. Daniel Doughty and the right honorable Reverend Ronnie Gardaki, put aside their, uh, they put aside their, uh, their, you know, uh, our friendship. We set aside our warm feeling for one another, and we donned the the brass knuckles of mental combat to really wail on each other, Fight Club style. Uh, because it's time we figured out once and for all the truth. God damn it! So, what are we gonna hash out this time, Ronnie? What are we What are we gonna go five to to eighteen rounds about? Well, I, I looked up uh, debate topics on the internet and I came across... <laughs> you did not... Bottled water. So Ro- Ronnie uh, did his homework at the last minute. <laughs> yes, but there are, literally, uh, there are literally hundreds of debate topics on this website. And one of them is bottled water. Should it be banned? I'm going to take the yes side of that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I will argue the no side. Uh, but since... I guess uh, traditionally, you know, uh, in a game of chess, white goes first. And uh, as Ronnie, as the more ethnically white of the two of us, <laughs> you should go first. I mean, I guess that's true. <laughs> I mean, depends on how you believe 
about slobs, I guess. Yeah, it's a, well, that's that's very true. Uh, I, I guess, yeah, you and I kind of land outside the classical white people, but uh, that, of course, never impacted our daily life. Enough, of, enough about talking about the, the fake bullshit made up by Spaniards in 15-whatever. Um, and uh, It has made us uh, technically a minority-led podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how uh, Anya... Taylor Joy is like a South American actress. Yeah, she's a she's a even though she's the whitest <laughs> woman alive. She's a fiery Latina, for sure. Yeah, she's from <laughs> she's from Argentina, and and don't ask what they did during the war. <laughs> hey, they also have a lot of Italians there. You know, don't ask what they did during the war either. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah. So, uh, Ronnie, take it away. Sell me, why don't you, on the idea of banning the scourge of plastic water bottles? Okay, for one thing, it's bad for the environment because all that plastic just gets in landfills and, you know, just fuck shit up. But more importantly, more importantly than the environmental impact is that bottled water is for is for lamos and uh, sophisticates. Both of whom I despise in equal measure. <laughs> um, You're, uh... Instead of saying, you know, give me a glass of water, you say, oh, please, give me a Dasani. Or give me an Aquafina. Because you need, like, fucking, fucking water that's from some spring somewhere in Germany. You can't handle, like, just regular, regular water out of the tap, which is fine for everybody as long as you're not in one of the... Several areas in the United States where our drinking water isn't actually drinkable. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, any any further points there, or is this my chance to, to jump in? I mean, I I guess I just reiterate my points. Is that uh, I mean, imagine imagine your your mental picture of like your average bottled water drinker. Sure. It's, you know, probably somebody who listens to NPR, somebody who voted for Elizabeth Warren. You know, a real scumbag is what I'm saying. A real, uh, a real tote bag type. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got you. And what do they tote in those bags? Bottled water. Okay, all right. Well, allow me... An avocado toast. Allow... <laughs> uh, okay, allow, allow me to ride to the rescue of the honor of bottled water. Ronnie, you mentioned... You mentioned that these bottles end up, these plastic bottles end up in landfills, right? Have you never stopped to consider how important it is that America fill up its land? There are, there are lands out there, great chasms, that just are sitting in our society, these massive pits, and we're supposed to leave them unfilled? Frankly, I think using water bottles, a popular convenience, uh, in their afterlife to fill some of these lands that need filling is an efficient use of resources. And what's more environmental than that? But more importantly than the environment, as, as, as you also said, um, I think what we're looking at here is uh, we need to support and cultivate our class of public intellectuals. And when I say public intellectuals, yes, I am referring to NPR listeners who have tote bags. They're the closest thing we have anymore. Yes, their opinions are annoying and half-baked, and really they're just parroting what they heard on NPR. But 
in today's day and age of the you know decimation of higher education, the devaluing of serious thought, the uh, well, repeated uh, attempts to ban books at libraries and defund them, I think it's more important than ever that we support and encourage avocado toast eating tote bag havers who enjoy a bottle of water with names like Fiji, perhaps. Uh, it's exotic. What? what? When you brought up uh, public intellectuals who love bottled water, I thought about you know comedians. Comedians do love bottled you know, water. They're 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 public intellectuals. They are public intellectuals. They're, they're modern day philosophers, you might say. I mean, really, if you think about it, conservatism is the new punk rock. No, it's not. Right, <laughs> seeing how how you would take that breaking one. kayfabe. No, it's, it's not. Absolutely not. No, um. <laughs> never will be. But uh, conservatism will always be the lamest thing possible. <laughs> to to round out my argument, I think it's important that we uh, we encourage and support our uh, kind of half baked liberal uh, ish public intellectual who uh, has never heard an uh, has never uh, ha- heard a, a misheard anecdote that they would like to repeat at a cocktail party that they didn't love. Um, it's the closest thing we have to the those halcyon days of Gore Vidal debating uh, William F. Buckley and uh, Buckley uh, calling him the queer slur on TV. Um, so that's why we cannot and must not ban plastic water bottles. Well, also, uh, if we banned water bottles, then that would lead to to more funding of uh, local water supplies because, of course, uh, if you know anything about municipal government, it's they care deeply about our local water supplies. <laughs> now, speaking of caring deeply about things, uh, Ronnie, if we banned bottled water, then what would Nestle steal to sell back to us? Did you ever think of that? Did you ever think of the profits for the Nestle Corporation? How are they going to pay for the overseers of the child slaves who work on their chocolate plantations? If they can't steal water from people and then sell it back to them in bottles. That's a fair point. <laughs> well, I think as, as is typically the case, we have, we have maneuvered one another into a stalemate because we're just so goddamn smart and just such penetrating thinkers. And I would leave it up to the, uh, the listeners to decide who won the, uh, the battle of bottled water here on uh, today's edition of Into the Thronderdome. Uh, with that, let us round out our podcast by uh, wishing everyone well, and uh, may you all have a good night or day or you know afternoon whenever you're actually listening to this. And we'll. Uh, I know what I'll be doing. I'll be drinking a cool glass of tap water, <laughs> which, as you know, is never filled with contaminants ever. It surely is not, especially not in the Great Lakes region. Uh, so (laughs) goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next time on Thronderdome. Goodbye.